Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your co-host, Peter Go. Excited to be with you again today. We took a week off last week. Uh, you know, kind of been a dry off season in baseball uh, for, of course, COVID reasons. Uh, but it's kind of been a dry dry off season. And, and so there really wasn't too much to cover. We felt like, you know, maybe we just take a week off, uh, regroup this week. And so that's what we're doing here. Today, we've got a couple minor signings that the Brewers made to cover today, um, as well as a couple deals around baseball, a couple notable signings as well. Um, so we'll get into that as well. Um, and David, any thoughts here before we jump into today's episode? You finally saw a couple big off-season moves, which was kind of nice, even though they didn't involve um, the Brewers. They made a couple low-profile signings, uh, or I guess relative to their competition, uh, maybe high-profile, I guess uh, you might say. Um, but still, I mean, at least there's a little bit of action. And, you know, it's going to pick up at some point. We've got really only about a month until spring training is really going. And there are hundreds of guys that are unsigned. Uh, only about 500 million has been committed in um, in payroll obligations so far in salaries, and that's about a fourth of what we were at last year at this time. So I would fully expect the, the free agent market to pick up in the next month or so. So that 500 million number you're saying uh, just spent this off season so far. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, it is. It has been a very very slow off season, and who knows how the rest of the off season will play out. I mean, certainly expect it to pick up, but. We don't really know with how many teams trying to contract payroll. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated on all baseball news and especially all Brewer news. So today, David, we are switching it up a little bit. So what's today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is minimum 500 plate appearances. Who is the Brewer's all-time leader in batting average? All right. So as always, that answer will be at the end. Uh, David's trying to stump me today, which is a slightly easier job than trying to stump him. So, David, uh, why don't you repeat that question one more time for everybody listening? Uh, so the question, once again, is minimum 500 plate appearances as a Brewer. Who has the highest career batting average? So I think recently we talked about how Jeff Cirillo has the highest career batting average, and that was with a minimum of, I think, about 1,500 plate appearances. But I'm moving the scale back a little bit to 500 plate appearances. Who has the best all-time batting average for the Brewers? That answer definitely does not come to mind right away. So uh, we'll see if I if I am enlightened in the next 20 minutes <laughs> until the end of the podcast episode. Uh, but like I said, switching it up a little bit today. So today's random player of the day, a, a notable name that many of you uh, will likely know for his long playing career, also had a managerial career as well, Willie Randolph. Uh, Willie Randolph, uh, famous for his time with the Yankees, uh, spent most of his career there uh, from the mid-70s all the way until the late 80s. He made a stop with the Brewers in his uh, second-to-last year in 1991 and actually put up a very solid year, a four-win season from Randolph that year. Um, and just that one brief stint with the Brewers, he also was a manager of the of the Mets from 05 to 08 and was a finalist for the Brewers' managerial position when they opted for Ken Maka. Um, so... Uh, Randolph and Maka were both finalists. They ended up opting for Ken Maka, but asked Willie Randolph to be the bench coach uh, because of his knowledge of the National League compared to Maka, who was coming from the American League. 
Um, and he spent two years with the Brewers uh, as a bench coach. Uh, so that's a little bit uh, behind Willie Randolph. Again, just a one-year stint for the Brewers, uh, a good year in 1991, and primarily known for his time over in the Big Apple. Yeah, he actually had over 60 war over his career, squarely in the Hall of Fame consideration, I would say. But he's one of those overlooked middle infielders that had a very good glove and overall produced as a hitter, but nothing really stood out about him. And I think that's why he gets overlooked. You know, look at some of the other infielders, even as a whole. Bobby Gritch, I would say, is like that. Greg Nettles over at third base. Um, there are a number of guys where they were very, very good defensive players and pretty good hitters, but they might not have uh, been exactly the type of Hall of Fame hitter. They might have walked a lot, which I know Randolph did. He didn't get as many hits as some of the guys, like even in more modern times, like Craig Biggio someone who probably wasn't even really that much of a better hitter than Randolph, um, just accrued more hits. Uh, and also when I think of Randolph, I, th I think of that play at second base, Hal McRae was playing for the Royals and it's a ground ball to third base. Randolph's trying to turn a double play, catching the ball at second. He catches the ball, takes a step back behind the base. McRae steps on second base and barrel rolls into him. Starts a big <laughs> brawl. Uh, that was yep. kind of your, your classic all time, uh, kind of your classic old hard-nosed baseball. I, mean, I wouldn't call it a slide. Um, McRae, I think, hit the base and took a full step and then like jumped into him. It was not at all a slide. It was far worse than the Chase Hotley slide. Uh, but I would recommend looking up how McRae Willie Randolph play at second base. Uh, it is a funny video uh, if you do get the chance to see it. Yeah, I think uh, with how far sports has come, not only baseball, but all sports in general, that, that play at second base would probably uh, yield a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the NFL for a hit on the quarterback, uh, much less mm. a second baseman trying to turn a double yeah. play. It was kind of crazy, some of the things that those runners used to do. I mean, it was like pretty much take them out at all costs. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, we saw that uh, diminished over the years. And now, of course, that, not, that doesn't really happen. Well, barrel rolling does not happen uh -huh. in any way. Um, which is which is good for the sport, uh, I, I would say, and I think everybody uh -huh. agrees. But it, you do you should definitely go check out that video if you have not already seen that highlight. Uh, like you said, that does kind of sum up hard nose baseball in about fifteen seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there you have it, Willie Randolph, your random player of the day today. I do also have one other note as I was uh, doing a little bit of background on Willie Randolph. Thought it was kind of funny um, seeing a uh, quick note about um, Randolph being the eighth manager of the Mets to also play for the Mets. And there was a small footnote that mentioned that uh, Carlos Beltran was also technically the manager of the Mets <laughs> while having played for, after them, but, uh -huh. uh, but obviously didn't end up actually serving as a manager. So it's kind of a, a random note there. Uh, we will not get down the uh, Houston Astros mm -mm. Uh, rabbit that, hole, which we have gone down. That seems like a lot because, I mean, the Brewers, I mean, of course, Council, most recent one, but how many other guys um, even played for the team that manage them. I can't even think of one. Um, I mean, of course, uh, they had they had Phil Garner for a while. He never played for the Brewers. Right. Um, they had Sal Bando was a GM and he played for the Brewers, but not a manager. Harvey Keen retired before the Brewers came into existence or Bamberger. Right. And that's definitely part of it because the Brewers were only around since 1970. True. So but, I mean, the Mets only yeah. outlasted the Brewers by about seven, eight years before that. So, True. True. Um, so it still is surprising uh, with the number of managers then that they've had. Yeah, they've had and, – and they've had some ones, I mean, from a while ago, too. Gil Hodges, Yogi Berra, Joe Torre, Bud Harrelson, and then more, more recently Bobby Valentine and, and Willie Randolph. But, yeah, interesting that they have that many. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a hometown spirit wanting to bring back those former players. But, yeah, Craig Council is the only one that comes to mind, I, I believe. I would, we could be wrong, but I don't think we are. I think he is the only 
Brewers manager to both play for and manage the Brewers. Oh, actually, I take that back. Ned Yost. Oh, right, right. Oh, that is that's that a pretty is obvious one. I yeah, guess. you're but, right. But so we were that, only two, maybe two, two or Dale Swaim actually yeah, I was about to... twelve <laughs> games. Okay, so maybe a little more than we thought, but still three in one of those. You caught, you caught Swaim games. just before me. I was, I was <laughs> in my head. I thought of him, and then I was like double checking in my head. Dale Swaim played for the Brewers, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Twelve games. The the gutsy move by Doug Melvin to to fire Yost uh, during that year, but. Anyways, there's your random player today, Willie Randolph. Uh, Mets apparently like to hire former players. That's what we are taking away from that. Uh, but moving on over to more recent uh, Brewers news, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the uh, two utility signings that the Brewers have made uh, recently? Yeah, they signed Daniel Robertson to a one-year $900,000 contract. Robertson actually was with the Giants briefly last year. Didn't play a whole lot, only a handful of games. Uh, He most notably played for the Rays between 2017 and 19, um, and he accrued about two wins above replacement over three years, including 2018 when he hit 262 with a 382 on base percentage, 415 slugging, and played all over the field. Good for 2.4 war that year, so very solid year. Yeah, um, kind of like Luke Maley, uh, one of their other low-profile signings that they that they added onto their forty-man roster. Had a very good year in twenty eighteen, but not much since. Daniel Robertson was a pretty good prospect actually coming up, and was with the A's. I want to say he was traded in the Ben Zobris deal uh, in twenty fifteen around then. Uh, but Robertson does have a little bit of upside. Um, only, yeah, like I said, only 900000 but he is out of options. So he, he probably will make the team. If not, he'll be designated for assignment. Uh, it's not guaranteed. Uh, that's what, uh, from what I was reading, it seems like that is the case. So it's not a guarantee that Robertson will be with the Brewers this year. Uh, but some nice depth to add there. And actually, according to Fangraphs, um, one of their projection systems called Zips, Daniel Robertson is projected to be the best uh, free agent signing of any NL Central player. So any NL Central free agent signing this year, Daniel Robertson is supposed to be the best. And the second best there is Jace Peterson, who they uh, re-upped on a minor league deal. Probably remember him from last year with the Brewers. Hit 200 with a 393 on base percentage. Uh, shades of Jake Elmore um, <laughs> it comes to mind, I guess, when I think of that. Um, but yeah, he had a 24.6% walk rate last year in 61 plate appearances, which of course is unsustainable. But Peterson um, was a, a useful guy, I would say, on the bench. He wasn't really fun to watch because he just walked and struck out most of the time. But still a useful guy to have, especially to bring back on a minor league deal. I think it makes sense, uh, even though he does uh, looks like he has negative war over his career. Kind of that kind of <laughs> guy um, where just kind of right. a, a 4A guy where he, he'll come up because he has versatility. Peterson's a guy, if I recall correctly, the Brewers decided not to tender a contract to at the beginning of the offseason. And you did mention, I do remember you mentioning, you know, the Brewers would have the potential to bring Peterson back. So it looks like there was enough that they saw from Peterson or just, like you said, utility depth, that sort of thing, where they decided to bring him back at a a lower price tag than they would have uh, had they done it earlier in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It makes sense because I think they would have paid him probably about 900000 a million, which isn't that much, but the Brewers are really trying to save every last 100000 <laughs> I guess, at this point. Yeah. So it makes sense that they would do that. And Peterson, familiar with the organization now, got an opportunity last year, and he will be back, um, at least in spring training. We don't know beyond that. 
And then they also signed Pablo Reyes to a minor league deal. He was with the Pirates the last couple of years as an outfielder, also some depth, also on a minor league deal. Um, over two years, 2018 and 19, he had 220 plate appearances, hit 229 of the 295 on base and a 368 slugging. Uh, if I recall correctly, he's got some pretty good speed. Uh, that's kind of his carrying tool, but also some depth, uh, kind of maybe like a Keon Broxton type that they'll just keep in AAA uh, in case something happens to some of the outfielders and they need to bring him up. But a low, again, a low-profile minor league signing, which has kind of been the theme of the Brewers offseason so far. Yeah, and it's been the theme of, of most teams' offseasons, especially you take out the last couple of deals that we're about to cover here. Uh, it's been a, a very low-profile offseason. Going back to Daniel Robertson, just taking a look at, at some of his years past, you talked about 2017 through 2019 with the Rays and 2018 being that 2.4 war season. Any thoughts on, on why the big jump in production there from 2017 going from 0.1 up to 2.4 and then 2019 dropping down below zero, actually? Um, so, yeah, any, any thoughts that you see as to um, maybe why we saw a, dip, uh, a jump like that from Robertson in 2018? Yeah, that was the second year in the majors. It seems like he kind of figured some things out. And then overall, he just didn't have the same level of production the next year. Pitchers maybe figured him out a little bit. Uh, since he didn't really have a full season in 2017, it's almost like 2019 might have been that sophomore slump for him, so to speak. But he increased his both the strikeout rate and walk rate in 2018 from 17, and he made much better contact. His launch angle was actually a little bit lower, but his average exit velo went up by about a mile per hour, which was good. He still overperformed a little bit. His batting average on balls in play was probably a little bit higher than it should have been. But even StatCast numbers say that he still probably was about an average hitter that year, which is pretty good for a utility guy who can move around all over the diamond, kind of a Marwin Gonzalez type player. And if the Brewers are able to get him for 900000 they'd be able to control him at a pretty low cost for a couple of years. That would be a very good pickup for the Brewers if they're able to get that from Robertson and I think that's entirely possible but we don't know that for sure of course. Yeah you mentioned him being out of options so likely if the Brewers I mean if the Brewers were to decide to keep him they're required to keep him on the active roster so how do you see him fitting into the Brewers depth chart and where, what positions do you see him getting playing time at this year? I think right now I mean thir the third base picture is up in the air. They have Urias slotted in there, but I don't think Urias is really an answer there. Of course, I'd like to see them bring someone in, and I think they will, but you never know. I think one thing that Stearns has shown the tendency to do has been, if they have a weakness at third base, let's bring in an outfielder, something like that, <laughs> that can kind of make up for the offense. So it's possible that they will roll out someone like Urias or Mark Mathias or Tim Lopes or Daniel Robertson even at third. I think if Robertson does get consistent playing time, he does have the potential to be about an average hitter, which I think carries a lot of value. He also could play a little bit of first base. I think that one's a little less likely, but they really only have Vogelbach there right now. David Freitas also can play first base, and he's on the roster, but I'd be surprised if Freitas is on the roster still come opening day. Um, really, Robertson probably could play anywhere around the diamond, though, except for maybe catcher. I don't think he's played center field at all in his career yet at the major league level either. But I think I could, I could see him playing really at second or third, probably the most likely, maybe even a little bit of corner outfield mixed in. Yeah, which is definitely value there. Even if we, even if Robertson doesn't have the career year he's ha he had in 2018, and he's a slightly below average hitter, with the flexibility that he offers, like you said, 900, 900K for him for the year, 
uh, would be a pretty good pickup if that's what the Brewers are able to get out of him. So moving on to Major League Baseball news, uh, biggest move of the offseason yet. I have to say it was a little bit exciting just because it was I, just such a dry offseason. Uh, but Francisco Lindor getting dealt to the Mets from uh, the Indians. So, David, your thoughts on this big blockbuster trade? Yeah, I was really excited to see it just because, yeah, like you said, I kind of wanted some action. Of course, it strengthens the, the National League a little bit, uh, which the Brewers are, um, of course, in the National League. But I, I'm actually glad for Lindor. I think that Lindor, he liked Cleveland, but I don't think that the Indians front office really liked him back to the level that Lindor liked the Indians. Lindor wanted to stay, actually, if they would have given him a competent extension offer but they weren't willing to do that so I think that because of that um, it's probably a good thing that Lindor can get out and go to New York. Steve Cohen I think will probably look to sign him to an extension with the Mets he wants to spend money he's been very active uh, on Twitter expressing that and he was really excited to get Lindor and they also got Carrasco too who's a, a solid dependable starter he's actually been a member of the Indians rotation for a decade now wow. uh, so um, he's he's 33, 34 years old, but a solid back end of the rotation starter, even going into his late 30s, um, probably can throw 180 innings. He just had that small uh, blip on the radar, I guess, since he was battling leukemia uh, just a year or two ago. But now that he's recovered from that, he seems like he will be a solid starter once again. He had a good year in 2020. I think it was a good pickup for the Mets also to get Carrasco. But Lindor's on a one-year contract, and I think it'll be a big storyline about whether or not he will sign a big extension with the Mets. Yeah, certainly if you're the Mets, only way the, the trade really makes sense is to be able to lock up Lindor. And I agree. I do think that they will likely be able to do that. Um, if they didn't, if they weren't confident in their ability to lock him up, I don't think they necessarily would have pulled the trigger on the deal. Uh, they certainly didn't give up as much as a lot of people would have expected for the trade, but that also reflects the current market where there's just a lot of a lot of sellers. Everyone's trying to cut costs, and and Cohen and the Mets are taking advantage of that and bolstering the Mets' depth chart. So the Mets taking advantage of that. Where do you see this taking the Mets in the NL East? Um, you know, it's a it's a good division. Of course, Nationals winning the World Series a couple of years ago. Um, strong teams, Braves, obviously very good team. So where do you see the Mets stack, stacking up in the NL East now? I still would say that they're probably worse than the Braves, but I think that they're they're comfortably in that second position. Um, the Marlins, you know, they made the playoffs this year, but they still actually might be the worst. But you can really, I would say, you go back and forth between Marlins and Phillies. I might yeah. even slot the Phillies in, in the in the five spot. Phillies just missed the playoffs last year. Of course, half the teams made the playoffs, but... I mean, that still means you're in the top half of all teams. Uh, the Nationals had a poor year last year. I actually think the Nationals are probably third or maybe fourth in the division. I think that the Braves and Mets are the clear two best teams in the division. Now the Mets have DeGrom. Syndergaard will be coming back. Seth Lugo was pretty good in the rotation over the last year or two. They have Carrasco there too now. The Mets have a solid rotation and they have increased offense. They've got they've got a pretty good lineup. When you look at Pete Alonso, of course, Lindor, now they add in, along with Conforto, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nemo, James McCann, Dominic Smith has been pretty good lately, as has J.D. Davis. So they've got a pretty deep lineup. Of course, they haven't been able to put everything together, but I think that if they add even like one more piece, which it seems like they could, um, to an already good roster, they could be a legitimate World Series contender. 
Yeah, and that offense you talked about there, right there, including Alonzo and Lindor, is a young lineup as well. So I, I don't think the Mets are necessarily a, a one or two year window. Um, some of those arms are a little bit, uh, not quite as young. Of course, Degrom and Syndergaard um, have have some experience at this point. But I, I agree, Mets are not far from being World Series contenders. And with the uncertainty that the off season and twenty twenty one season brings, um, I would definitely put them up there as one of the top teams in the NL as well. Mm-hmm. I'd also just like to take this uh, time to tell everyone that Jacob deGrom is the same age as Clayton Kershaw because uh, Kershaw, everybody portrays Kershaw as being so old. And of course, he's pitched a lot more at the major league level, um, a lot more innings, but they're the same age. DeGrom's 32 and I don't, DeGrom hasn't shown any signs of slowing down, but uh, it still is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, but I, yeah, I do think that the Mets probably, I would say, are the fourth best team in the National League. I would still say Dodgers and Padres are top two and then probably Braves and then Mets. Um, and then and then there's 50 feet of crap and then there's the NL Central <laughs> as a, a nod to Moneyball. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I, I think I, I don't think there would be too many people who would argue uh, otherwise on the top four teams there. And really, I guess you could make the argument. I've heard some people make the argument the Padres are better than the Dodgers, the Dodgers at this point. I'm not in that camp. I agree. I'd go Dodgers-Padres. Um, but yeah, Braves and Mets are contenders as well in the National League and NL Central. Uh, we will see what happens in 2021. I don't think we know the Pirates won't be walking out of that division, but that's about the only thing that we do know uh, for the Central in 2021. So we'll have to we'll have to see how that goes. Um, and in other in other baseball news, Yankees making some moves as well, signing DJ LeMahieu to a 90 million dollar contract. Uh, who did you see as a winner of that deal, Yankees or LeMahieu? I think both were. Uh, LeMahieu's entering his age 34 season, so this takes him really through the end of his career. Kluber's looking for a bounce back year. I'm not exactly sure what the terms are on the deal yet, uh, but I think that it's a good opportunity for Kluber. Yankees are able to take that gamble a little bit more since they're able to spend the money or if you know they, they shell out 10, 12 million a year for a couple of years and it doesn't work out, they're able to recover from that better than a team like the Indians or the Rangers um, or even I don't know the Brewers for that matter. Um, I think that it does bolster the Yankees roster, though, especially bringing back LeMahieu. Uh, now they have they have LeMahieu at second. They've got Glaber Torres at short. Um, they've got, of course, Stanton and Judge in the outfield. Sanchez, uh, if he is able to have a resurgence, it would be a, a pretty big addition to their lineup. Uh, Yankees are, I think that they're kind of forgotten about, but they're still a very, very good team. Yeah, where do you see the Yankees stacking up in the AL? We just talked about some of the top teams in the National League. Um, Yankees still a very, very good team. Uh, I mean, just going into last year, was it that everyone was talking about Yankees being on paper one of the best teams that baseball's seen? Um, of course, didn't end up going their way in 2020. But after these moves, where do you see the Yankees in the American League? I still think that in the AL East, they're behind the Rays. Uh, I think that the Rays have the depth and they've they've shown the ability to win games even though they're really not expected to um so I, I would still say the Rays are the best team in that division Yankees slot in right behind them though not really I don't think uh very far behind them I do actually think that the the White Sox might be um the best team in the American League they've added Lance Lynn they've added Liam Hendricks uh and they've got a very very good young core I think that the White Sox are probably the best team actually in the American League right now. Oakland is still very good, although I don't think that they're quite to the level of the White Sox, Rays, and Yankees. I would say the Yankees are 
probably the third best team in the division and could easily be in World Series contention, especially if they're able to spend either before the offseason ends or the trade deadline. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that you take the Rays over the Yankees. Yeah, no, I would actually disagree with you. I would take the Yankees over the Rays, uh, at least on paper. I mean, you can make the argument, Kevin Cash, um, and the way the Rays run things over there. Uh, the strong bullpen, of course, but I think on paper the Yankees have the better team. Uh, you mentioned Gary Sanchez. It'll be interesting to see um, if he can have a bounce back year this year. But I think the Yankees are the best team in the NL, uh, excuse me, AL East. Um, and that, they would be my pick uh, for the AL East in 21. Yeah, I mean, of course, I would I would disagree with you. I think that the Rays are the better team in the AL East. Um, but at the same time, I could easily see the Yankees uh, being there. I mean, we'll see. I think that's a, that that is really one of the most intriguing divisions. Also, the Blue Jays I think are are up and coming, and they are putting in a run for Springer. Uh, if they if they add Springer to that ball club, that's just, that's a big improvement in the outfield, a big boost to their lineup and just their roster as a whole. Uh, so they could also factor into the postseason, and it's still yet to be uh, determined if we will have expanded playoffs again this year. I really hope we don't, um, but we'll see uh, that. Uh, that's something that's going to be figured out between now and the start of spring training, as is the universal DH. That's kind of the uh, that's kind of been our phrase over the last three months. I think is we'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about yeah. like about all like rules, free agency, what the Brewers are going to opt to do, pretty much everything baseball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, before we wrap up, uh, we're going to go over the trivia question, I guess, for my first time doing this, just to switch things up. Um, so just a reminder, today's trivia question, who is the Brewers all-time batting average leader um, over a career, but minimum 500 plate appearances? Uh, so just for context, that's about the uh, the amount of, of plate appearances for one qualifying season. Um, so it's not a, a big sum of plate appearances the answer is not Jeff Cirillo, um, just as a warning, because Cirillo, uh, he takes the crown when you look at about 1,500 plate appearances or more. Uh, so who is all-time leader minimum 500 plate appearances in batting average for Brewers franchise history? Yeah, uh, when you threw out the question at the beginning of the podcast, I thought I was stumped for sure. And then as I thought about it longer, I thought back to Willie Randolph's strong 1991 year where he hit 327. Uh, and that is my, uh, my answer for the trivia question. That is correct. It is Willie Randolph, uh, 327 in 1991. That was his only year with the Brewers. And I'm pretty sure he actually might also hold the, the title for most wins above replacement uh, by a position player in one season in which uh, he didn't hit a home run. He hit 327, 424 on base percentage, 512 plate appearances, zero home runs, uh, which I think is kind of incredible that he didn't just run into one or anything like that. Uh, very surprising, but of course, a, an outstanding year. And actually, number two on that list is Christian Yelich. Hit th his at 308 over his Brewers career in the few years that he had. Um, I'm sure that number would be much higher if he didn't have uh, that low batting average this past year, but still a very high mark. And then third, and you get to Jeff Cirillo, uh, who we, we've talked about previously, Paul Molitor and Cecil Cooper moving down the list. Um, and and even looking down, I mean, of course, the Brewers don't have like a storied franchise history. You look in the top 30 and you got um, Brady Clark, Alex Ochoa, um, Tyler Houston, Steve Hovley, who, to be honest, I have no clue who Steve Hovley is. All right. So we got next week's uh, random, random player, player of the day. Of the day. Yeah, I guess so. That's the, what we'll uh, have to cover. Oh, Pilots. There we go. 
uh, right. pilots and then and then he's with the brewers for like half of 1970 <laughs> um, but he hit 277 with the pilots so all right um, well, well we'll we'll dive into it more next week for sure mm-hmm. yeah but just some interesting names on the the batting average list but willie randolph takes the crown in today's trivia question you know i'm pretty proud of that one i was not expecting myself to get that trivia question and uh i was enlightened during the podcast episode so a big pat on the back for myself and i will hold off on uh, trying to answer trivia questions for a while now that's going to wrap up today's podcast. Thank you all for listening. Um, I'm glad we were able to get a podcast in this week. Of course, we had that break last week. Um, the offseason is really slow. Um, and I guess, to be honest, there's not really a point in us talking about things that nobody wants to listen to. Um, when there's no, the news is slow, uh, hard to get good content out. And we will continue to try to come up with fun ideas uh, and things to keep you guys engaged and listen to this Brewers podcast. And of course, we're looking forward to uh, the season starting and even just spring training starting in uh, ho- what hopefully will be less than a month in February in Arizona for the Brewers at Maryvale. Yeah, we're both certainly excited uh, to have hopefully some forms of normalcy uh, when it comes to Brewer games. Hopefully we can get out there, watch some games, uh, see all of you at the park, at, at the American Family Field, not Miller Park. Um, but, but either way, uh, again, thank you for listening. Uh, This is Peter Goh and David Goh signing off. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.